Segabits presents Sega Talk, a podcast talking all things with your hosts, George and Barry. Before we get into the Sega Talk podcast, I just want to let you guys know that my microphone actually did not record, so the quality might be a little bit lower than you're used to listening to my voice. I'm sorry about that. I'll just let the episode play the way it was. I promise for the next episode, I will be recording on the higher quality mic. I'm sorry for the inconvenience. Hello and welcome to Sega Talk. This is episode 31. Can you believe that? We're over 30 now. And on this episode, we're talking about the Revenge of Shinobi. Not to compete, confused with our the 1987 Shinobi, which we did a Sega Talk number 23 on. This is the sequel. This is the Revenge of Shinobi. Um, and if uh, you want to stay up to date with these podcasts, uh, make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, and even on YouTube, which we have a video version of the podcast. And if you want to support it and get the podcast early, check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash segabits. But let's talk about The Revenge of Shinobi. The, Re- the Revenge of Shinobi released in America and in Japan in December 2nd, 1989, and then it later came out in the UK. Um, it was developed by Sega R&D2, who was the same developer from the game we covered last time, Alex Kidd. Yeah. And uh, last time it wasn't favorable for the studio. We kind of like bashed Alex Kidd. And I, I, I saw that after we put the episode up, you put a note on there telling people not to hate us for hating the game, right? <laughs> Right. Well, more or less, yeah. Yeah. And so this time, uh, we're going to praise the game these developers did. And uh, so our opinion on this game is probably a little higher than Alex Kidd, I think. Um, So tell me about your first experience with The Revenge of Shinobi. Was this your first Shinobi title? And how do you feel about this game compared to the other ones? I think it's worse than Alex Kidd, I'll be honest. No, um... (laughs) Yeah, this was my first experience playing a Shinobi game. Though I have to admit, I don't remember when I first played this. It very well could have been a rental. It very well could have been on a compilation disc. You know, like one of the early compilation discs Mm. for this game. Um, But I most definitely played this much earlier than than like the original Shinobi. I never played the arcade game until a few, few years ago, the first Shinobi. Uh, same goes for the um, Master System version. Yeah. So, I if I could pin it down, maybe late '90s, early 2000s, maybe. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, what was your opinion on the game and the way it's kind of like? Well, it's a sh- it's a ninja game, right? But it's really a, yeah. a side-scrolling platform game where you kind of like make these mistakes and then you, I guess, learn, come back. It's like a hardcore kind of game, but more. I don't know. They yeah. had like some. Um, it was it was kind of soft, like it wasn't one hit kill this time. It was a console game, obviously, which we'll talk about later. This is on purpose, but right. What was your uh, overall opinion on the game? Like, are you surprised it was such a big hit? Because I feel like this is one of the pillars outside of Sonic for the Sega Genesis. I mean, I as someone who started on the Sega Genesis with Sonic, this game definitely felt slow to me. But um, I did play a lot of other slow games, like. Uh, 
well, I, I'm probably going to bring it up a lot during this, so I'll bring it up now. Dick Tracy for the mm-hmm. Sega Genesis. Um, I don't know if this developer worked on it. I have a book like two feet from my hand. I can't touch it right now. But it basically talks about the Dick Tracy game, and I do believe they developed it in at Sega of America, but they lifted a lot of stuff from the Shinobi games. Um, at times, it almost feels like a reskin, sort of like uh, Super Mario Brothers 2. Um, not to say that it's, it is a reskin, but if you go and play Dick Tracy and go and play this game, there's a lot of similarities. And you were a Dick Tracy fan. Because I noticed you talked about this game on uh, previous episodes. Yeah. Um, Well, it's it's just, you know, like when you start with a console, you have that handful of games. And you don't really go beyond it unless, you know, you're rich. (laughs) Yeah, of course. We're not uh, rich. Yeah, so I I definitely point to Dick Tracy as one of like the first probably five games I truly owned. Yeah, and so one of those and I mean we're I, doing this Discord chat right now and I'm I'm using the Dick Tracy logo right there. Uh I don't know why I'm doing that. Why am I called Dick Tracy? I don't know. I, I don't know. But I was going to say um it's one of those games that your parents buy you, right? And like you never really ask for it, but then you play it and you fall in love with it. I mean, I don't know, did you ask for this Dick Tracy on the Genesis when you were a kid? Basically, when I got the Genesis, I wanted to get all the games based on movies that I liked. So Ghostbusters, Dick Tracy, because there were no Star Wars games. There were no, there were Simpsons games, but I felt like I was renting them and hating them. And I was like, I'm not buying any of these. These are all bad. I I felt Um, the same way about the Simpsons. Yeah. and, And so if I did rent Revenge of Shinobi, it was probably too difficult for me, but I definitely saw the appeal. I was, um, really into Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the Hyperstone Heist. And that's a very playable game for me. Like, I can blaze through that whole game. um, And maybe the only cheat code I'm using is, like, Infinite Lives. But, you know, I'm, like, soldiering through it. Uh, In this game, I probably would have died in the first stage, you know, and been like, that was cool. This game is not... The easiest game in the world. No. I think um, some people, like, there's always those people on the internet, right? They go, oh, I beat that game when I was three years old with one hand tied behind my back. I'm like, sure. Right. I want to see that. I want to see your little infant ass uh, on the three-button Genesis controller beating this game. But uh, my uh, first, this is the first game I played in the Shinobi series. And, like, the reason I played it, I think I said it in the last one, was because it was part of the six-pack release. Um mm. And, and uh, I, I even did it later on. We'll talk about the revisions of this game. And uh, they there's a specific version that was for the six-pack that, revi- that was changed. So I mm. guess I played almost the last changed version. So I didn't play any of the copyrighted characters. I don't have any memories of that. Um, I guess a Spider-Man, technically. But mm-hmm. uh, I didn't really think of it as Spider-Man. I don't know. Did you think of the boss of Spider-Man, the Spider-Man boss? Um... So that that revised version, that's been in all the ones since, right? I think the Spider-Man, yeah, because I think Sega got the license for Spider-Man, so they kind of just put the copyright under it after a while. Okay. But, um, <laughs> no, I, I really didn't later. catch on to those, um, so I must have been playing a later revision. But yeah. it was really in screenshots for like magazines and stuff. They're like, hey, this is a cool little fun fact about Shinobi. Um, it seems that, no. that's... Like, one of the things that people remember about this game right now, right? Like, all those, like, YouTubers that do fact videos. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, too. I was like, 
I'm wondering if, if a lot of lot uh, a lot of these people grew up with the game, or are they just looking up Wikipedia facts and they're like, "All right, now I got to make a video about you know Shinobi." They're facts. looking up. They're looking up Wikipedia facts. You, yeah, you cannot make those videos and not just do research and you know you can't pull that out of your butt. So uh, <laughs> while in America the game was called The Revenge of Shinobi, and I think everybody I've ever heard talk about this game calls it The Revenge of Shinobi. In Japan, it was called The Super Shinobi. Uh, which of these names do you like better, and why? I like The Revenge of Shinobi. I think no Sega Mega Drive or Genesis game should be throwing Super at the beginning because it sounds like a Super NES game, and I'm sure that's the number one reason why Sega West was just like, nope. Nope. <laughs> yeah, know? I agree. Like, I, even if it was before the SNES... Was it before the SNES? Uh, it was. It was 89, so it was pretty mm. early. So maybe that wasn't the reason, but it was a smart reason. Because I think, people, looking back, people would be like, Oh, what's that SNES game called Super Shinobi? And but also, it's a stupid name. I'm sorry. It's just like... when you When you think about it without the... Okay, because... Super anything is just like normal to us now. You know what I mean? Like Super Mario Brothers, uh, Super Smash Brothers, yada yada. But you go back, imagine, you know, you're Sega of America and you see this game come across your desk. Super Shinobi. You're like, is he a superhero? Yeah, it's like Nintendo made the Super, it's their own kind of phrase in a video game. And nobody wants to touch it, not even Sony, nobody... So it's kind right. of like calling, like making a mascot a hedgehog. It's like you can't compete against Sonic. It's been created. You you just can't do it. Right. Same and to Super. correct myself, well, this does predate the SNES. Nintendo did set a precedence with Super Mario Brothers and sure. Super Mario. What else was there? Oh, just Super Mario, I guess. But, you know, looking at that alone, like, they're competing with Nintendo. You're probably not going to be like, oh, we got Super Mario and we got Super Shinobi. Eh. Yeah, the Ninja mm-hmm. game. The, the plus, one on Super Nintendo. Yeah, plus Revenge of, you know, tells you that this is a, a later game in a franchise, so you might look back and be like, where's Shinobi? How can I play that game? Like the Revenge uh, of, uh, the Revenge of, what was it? The, the Star Wars movie? Oh, Revenge of the Sith? Sith. That came out later, obviously, but still, yeah. <laughs> I like the, I like the the idea of revenge of Shinobi. Like that always drew me as a kid. Like it's like the the word revenge, you know, it has like a violent tone to it. So right. like when you see it plopped on the screen, it's like your little kid, right? And you're looking at the 16 bit logo, which is like the revenge of Shinobi. And it's like the <laughs> intro is this badass ninja with a little knife, and he's hitting these like uh, shurikens or ninja stars or. Uh, Throwing knives or whatever you would call them, right? Yeah. I, I, I made the notes as throwing knives, but uh, they're called shurikens in the game, so I don't know mm-hmm. whatever. I don't know what the politically correct term is for these weapons, so don't get angry at me. <laughs> so, uh, like we talked about, most people know Revenge of Shinobi on the Sega Genesis and Mega Drive, uh, because unlike the first game, this one was made from the ground up on the console. Uh, it later got a Mega Tech arcade release. If you do some research on the game, you will start noticing the Revenge of Shinobi turned out great as it did because of one key person, uh, Noriyoshi Oba, who was the director and designer of the game. Uh, uh, He also talked about why he created the game on console and not on arcade, and he said, 
We had that. We had this feeling with Revenge of Shinobi. We wanted to upturn Americans' traditional image of Japan, but we didn't want to simple, uh, simply port an arcade version of Shinobi. We wanted mm. to do something completely different. The reason why is the console game uh, have their own play style distinct from arcade games. Arcade games are built around the concept that if you pay 100 yen, you get to play about three minutes. That was reflected in the way those games played too. On the other hand, for a console game, you'd pay something around $60. So you needed a gameplay st- uh, system that makes the players feel like they got their money's worth. One easy example is how in arcade games, it's usually a one-hit equals death system, where in console games, we'll use a life bar, and in a console game, you will have you will let people experience the full game to the end, even if they make mistakes. Uh, so how do you feel about this? Do you feel like he actually gave you, let you make a lot of mistakes? I know you can make some mistakes and still plow through the game, but do you feel like it was as easy as he makes it seem to be, like... Because I felt like mm. Shin- the Revenge of Shinobi was still hard, right? But Yeah, it, it was still hard. I think out of the gate, it probably was a little simpler. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm actually pl- watching a, a Let's Play right now. Um, shout out to World of Long Plays. <laughs> um, but it does seem pretty simple. Like, you're walking along, and then pretty quickly it does get hard. Yeah. So, man, it's hard to say. I mean, when you're the developer these games become very easy to you because you made them. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if I trust, I don't know if I trust him so much on that. Yeah. I I could see him saying that he, he tried to give it more chances and we'll talk about some of the options he put in the game for uh, new people, but the game was definitely not as easy as he made it seem. It didn't have a a, a one hit death, like a, a hard notorious arcade games are known for. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't think he changed like uh, uh, like perspectives on video games in Japan because I always felt like when I was growing up, people knew a game was Japanese when it was really hard. Like I don't know if you grew up with this like mindset with people where it was like it's really hard, so it's good. Like you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I just sneezed, so that's an <laughs> Easter egg. If you're watching on video, see if you can find the the snot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, repeat the question, sir. Oh, I was saying, um, d- did you ever grow up with people that thought that just because a game is hard, the game is good? Like, you know what I'm talking about? Those hardcore gaming uh, yeah, aspect of for games? sure. Yeah, and, and I, I, I mean, you, I feel like you still see that to this day. There's people mm-hmm. praising stuff. They're like, oh, it's so balls hard. But when you, you know, check this, and I, but I think that's sort of. That's like a subsection of gaming is that the fun is the difficulty. Oh yeah. And, and no I think there's a difference it, between a sorry. I ahead. think there's a difference between a well-designed hard game and a badly designed hard game. Like, you know, of course Angry Video Game Nerd is where I've seen most bad games. Mm. So I see a lot of stuff he plays and it's just like they're terrible games and they're oh, hard. Yeah. But oh, then yeah. he'll also play stuff where he's like it's a very hard game like Castlevania, but it's very well made and it looks like a lot of fun. And that's where I kind of place this. I don't know how this compares to Castlevania difficulty wise, but I'd assume this is a difficult game. Yeah. And um, I think 
even the, okay, so this game was hard, even though the developer says he was trying to make it a console friendly game for uh, mainstream audiences in America. Um, it was successful, obviously, in America, but he, like, this kind of stayed with the franchise for, like, ever. I mean, notice that, like, every single Shinobi game is always has to be balls to the wall hard. Oh. Uh, Shinobi on the PS2, uh, Shinobi on the 3DS. There's so many games with Shinobi, just called Shinobi. But, no. uh,. Do you, have you noticed this, and do you think that's the right uh, approach to these kind of games? And do you think if they made a game that maybe was more on, I don't know, like, I don't know if you play these indie games like Super Meat Boy where it's hard, but it's forgiving hard. Do you think that the fan base would revolt against it? That's a, It's a tricky thing because I almost feel like you need two different modes. So, like... Um, maybe not beginner mode, but more like a, uh, forgiving death mode. And, you know, you, you cited those, those future games in the franchise. I'm sure we'll talk about them more, but the PS2 one and the 3DS one, I've played both of them. And each time I'm like, oh, you know, I've never gotten into Shinobi too much. I enjoyed the, the revenge game. I played the, um, master system one a bit. Let's play this. Let's get into it. And then PS2 one, I'm like, this game sucks. I hate this game. I'm dying as I just run around. Fuck this game. And then yeah. the 3DS one, I remember when they were promo- promoting it, they were like, this one, it's bringing back the classic difficulty. And they were, I remember in the marketing and in the interviews, they were really pushing that. Yes. Like the, the difficulty. Yes. And it's and been I, kind of like a thing with it, right? The franchise. Yeah. And I... I really wanted to play it and love it, but I couldn't get that far. And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> there's something about the, there's something about people that like just attached to these games, right? Like I feel like maybe yeah. there's a lot of people that maybe bought these games and they they liked their experience, never beat it. But ninjas are ninjas are cool as shit. So like they, I mean, how can you not like ninjas? For sh- like, let's be honest here. Right, so I could see that aspect of it selling, kind of like yeah. I mean, Ninja I mean, Gaiden is good too, but yeah. And I, I don't want to put words into like the Shinobi fandom's mouths because I'm I'm kind of a member of the fandom, <laughs> like a, yeah. a a novice member, a casual member. But like, do you think that if someone's like, man, I wanted to like this game, but it was too hard, do you think they're like, well, franchise isn't for you, sorry, bye. Or are they more like, man, I really wish you loved it. I wish it was easier because we could use more people in our fandom. You know, like, yeah. I guess it depends on the person. But, you know what I mean? Like, I've seen more accepting fandoms. And I've seen ones that are like, if you don't understand this and it doesn't seem like your thing, get out. You know? <laughs> oh, thank God you don't have to worry. Sega killed all the Shinobi fandom. He they, they just smothered it. So, we don't have to worry about <laughs> the fans at all. Uh, Barry, we're good. Okay. So good. let's talk about the Revenge of Shinobi. It's a more of a side-scrolling platformer game uh, than an arcade game. Uh, you control Joe Musashi again, and you go through eight districts, each containing three scenes, aka stages. This seems to be a trend during Sega. Sega during this time. And uh, do you know any other developers that tr- did stuff like this? Where it's like, I guess Sonic the Hedgehog is another game that comes to mind. Where it's like uh one stage but it i mean it's one world but it's split into three stages i've, I've seen it quite a bit uh didn't bubsy do that a lot 
Oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> that came out later in um, these games, but it's kind of Busters. weird. Like, I'm just wondering why this became a Japanese design uh, philosophy. I think it's strange. because they wanted to, they wanted to reuse assets and exp- make the game longer, but at the same time, they wanted to make levels kind of bite sized, so that instead of playing through three acts all as one stage, because you've seen that in the past, you know, you've played NES games and you're like how long is this level? And then it's like level two. And you're like, I've been playing for 30 minutes. Uh, and, yeah, I agree with that for sure. And I think it's because Sega, unlike Nintendo, Sega has more of an arcade sensibility. I know Nintendo made arcade games, but I, I can't recall that many Nintendo arcade games that are more like um, story-based or, or moving from setting to setting. And I think Sega figured out that there's a formula for it where you have uh, not only like a... a uh, like a area, but you have these little zones that you move around in. And um, Streets of Rage, though, didn't really do that, did they? It was it was really like you go from the street, you go inside, you yeah. go to the beach. And it was also um, shorter, obviously, but... Yeah, that's let's true. Let's talk about some of the, the, the places we got to travel in this game. We went to... from We got from Japan to a military base, to Detroit, to Chinatown, New York... And even the fictional Neo Zid Marine Stronghold. Uh, what do you think about how Shinobi used real locations in a ninja game? And what is your opinion on using U.S. cities and ignoring the U.K.? <laughs> um, you know, it's kind of mind blowing because uh, talking about this this game and these games, you know, like I said, I'm not that great at them, so I would make it through maybe one or two stages. Years later, people would talk about Shinobi and they'd be like, yeah, Shinobi's this game series where you're like in the future and you're fighting robots. And I'm like, I thought it was just in the past. I thought it was just like ninja times. You're telling me that this game gets really weird later on? And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's wild. And it's kind of the treat for those who endure the difficulty and can master the games because then they're like oh wait till you get to godzilla you know <laughs> yeah and uh, this game obviously has a i mean i'm not hating on new york obviously every thing in the 80s was new york right like new york was the top of the of the pile um but detroit are you surprised that they had detroit in this game like they had to pick every city like chicago nah chicago's not good enough detroit that's it. That's where we're going for a stage. It must be Japanese sensibilities where they just they know about Detroit from like movies and they just think, oh, that's a that's a, sounds like a gritty, dangerous kind of place. Oh yeah. Um, I guess you're right. These places are like New York in the eighties was pretty gritty. Yeah, and yeah, I wish Chicago Chicago really hasn't been in like any Sega games outside of i think like la machine guns no wait that's in la um uh the other one new york um gunblade new york you're right i could have sworn i've played a sega uh schmuck or shooter uh like point and shoot kind of game and it was in chicago if you know what that's that is leave it in the comments if not because my sneezing threw you off sorry (laughs) But and, uh, uh, no UK though. Like I guess the UK is not that dangerous. Like if you go to the UK, it's 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 pretty chill. So I guess it's okay, right? Yeah, they never. They, Sega really doesn't do too much stuff in 
in Europe. That's why Nights was kind of a surprise. The uh, sequel, right? It was in yeah. London. London, yeah. With the Big Ben clock. Bong. Uh, <clears throat> so the gameplay of, of Shin- The Revenge of Shinobi used the three button... Actually, it's probably one of them, I mean, really well. It had a... It had three obviously moves since it has three buttons. One's for your attack, which is sword or your throwing knives. The other one was jumping, and then the other button was for your ninjutsu attack. The game had a very tricky somersault that you could perform by jumping, then jump, hitting jump again with, uh, at the right second. Mastering the jump, double, uh, double jump was crucial. And uh, if you double jump and attack, you uh, throw your throwing knives, eight of them. In like this mm. weird horizontal thing, like it, like you know, like a screen. Um, so, what was your opinion on the double jump mechanics in this game, and did you have trouble with them? Because I had a friend that I uh, suggested this game to growing up, and mm-hmm. he told me that he couldn't get the double jump, so he couldn't play the game at all. So, did you have trouble with the double jump? Um, I. Thinking back, I I know it's a move I've executed because I've seen I've seen it and I've seen the the throwing knives, but I really feel like it's something that happened out of luck, um, rather than me figuring it out. Um, and I I was savvy enough to try to replicate moves, so it is a move I feel like I I did master because I I did play the um, Konami Ninja Turtles game, which had a lot of strange moves. Like there was one where it was like. You would jump and then attack and and go down vertically. But if you jumped and you hit it at a certain time, you did this like weird float down with your weapon and like you were invincible, basically. Yeah. And uh, so I was, you know, I was savvy enough to figure that out. So it was something that I'm I'm pretty certain that I mastered, but I could see a lot of people having trouble with that because that seems like something that's like. And I mean, again, it's like, oh, I can't play this game. I can't do these these difficult moves. It's like, well, maybe it's not for you. <laughs> you <know? laughs> yeah. Um, me, I'm trying to think of this mechanic. Like, I remember playing this game and not having that much trouble with the mechanic. Like, I never really dumped, like thought about it too much. It's one of those things kind of like Mega Man where you could dash and jump at the same time and you get that extra boost. Uh-huh. Uh, I used to know people that couldn't even play Mega Man X because they couldn't boost and jump at the same time, like in one consecutive move. Mm-hmm. So there's like little things like that 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 you sometimes you underestimate that maybe other people don't know how to do. I didn't think this was that hard to be honest with you. I think the timing is pretty forgiving. Um, do I lose sometimes because my double jump doesn't come out? Yeah, but that's a video game, right? Like I die in Super Mario Brothers, and that's not the hardest game in the world, but sometimes you screw up and you lose, right? <clears throat> yeah, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. As we mentioned before, the game had ninjutsu techniques. Uh, the game featured four of these, including thunder, fire, floating, and uh, pul- uh, fire, uh, thunder, fire, floating, and pulverizing. Thunder mm. gave you a shield. Fire summoned a dragon-shaped column of a uh, uh, fire that like took the whole screen and enemies around it, uh, doing damage. Uh, floating let Joe have a, a higher jump, and pulverizing was the most powerful move in the game, which let you do more massive damage on the uh, on the screen. But it killed Joe, and it took one of their his lives. But like I, I was reading something about how like. If you use it at the right moment, the sacrifice for the damage is worth it. And when mm. you come back to life, you have full health. 
So sometimes if you're about to die, people sacrifice themselves with this since Whoa. you only have like maybe like a percent of health left. <laughs> and then so you basically like, just, you know, take massive damage and it's worth the sacrifice that you did, obviously. Uh, outside of this, outside of this, uh, ninjutsu abilities, they also had power-ups, which was health packs, sometimes live shurikens, and mm -hmm. sometimes a bomb that would blow up on you. This was obviously a popular mechanic in games, even like Alex Kidd, which we covered on last episode, where you would open something and it'd be death or something. Yeah. Um, what are your opinions on the game having uh, powerful techniques like ninjutsu abilities, and how did you use them when you played? And personally... Something about these kind of like techniques kind of mm. like gives me a little bit of anxiety in the back because like I'm always afraid like if I use it right now, I might need it later. So I'm like one of those guys that like packs all the potions and I have like 150 <laughs> potions, but I'm never using the potions. Right. That's how I feel. Yeah. yeah, I'm the type of guy to use the techniques when I have them. However, anything that drains my life, like I've never been one to use it you know like if there's a special attack and my life goes down i'm like i'm killing myself to protect myself so why don't i just not use it and use other attacks and try to find a way around it um very rarely do i use those the one and done ones that you have uh like maybe not in this game but like in um golden axe and streets of rage I would always use them early on because I was testing out the controls and I'm like, oh, okay, I guess I used that. That's gone. Um, so really it, it's been items and just the moves that I uh, I have on me. Um, I did want to note, you know, the item boxes, the little crates that you break. Mm -hmm. If you ever watch a um, long play or a let's play of Tailspin for the Sega Genesis... That game was also made by Sega of America. Different people from Dick Tracy, but if you take a look at how the crates work in that game, you do pick up crates, like you bend down and pick them up. That's different. But when you bust crates apart, it's like almost the same animation. It's almost like, you know, can I can I copy your homework? Sure, but don't make it look, you know, the it's same. like that sort of meme. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it it's something worth checking out just to see how people were solving the same problems like developers were like well how do crates work and i'm sure both these people who did tailspin and revenge of the shinobi like did these completely separate but when you look at them it's like they both kind of came to the same conclusion about how it drops the items how the animations work how the characters interact with it it's interesting little game development thing yeah but um yeah no i i, I think what really plays into Revenge of Shinobi's favor is that there is so much variety. There's so much to do. And that's what kept me coming back, even though the game was difficult. Even though I was only playing the first stage or two, like I was experiencing it very differently each time because I was trying all these new things. So, you know, good Jiu -jitsu. on it. That's a real strong point for the game, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah, it's like a little shortcut, but just like I just suck at it, like exactly like Streets of Rage, like... Uh... I would never use the one power, uh, the the power move that used you like they used lives. I never used uh -huh. it. I'm always like, no way, it's gonna take away my health. I can't. I needed. I need every single pixel of health. <laughs> so that's just the way I am. I played. I play way too conservatively, and um, 
The Revenge of Shinobi was also loaded with options in the menu. This is something we talked about, about the, the difficulty settings. It was still hard, by the way. I mean, but it had difficulty settings. It had easy, normal, uh -huh. hard, and hardest. Each one mostly took away lives. So if you played it on easy, you started with 10 lives. If you played it on hardest, you only had one life starting. Not only that, the hardest made Joe take twice the damage. Uh, the game uh, let you start, also lets you pick how many shurikens or throwing knives you started off with from zero to ninety. Uh, did you play? Did you play with the difficulty settings growing up? And did you ever care about playing with difficulty settings when you were growing up? I I tended to go towards the normal or easy modes. I disliked it when games would do an easy mode and it would also give you a truncated game. So it's like, sorry, you got to go back and play again if you want to see all the stages and get an actual ending. I hated that. Yeah. Um, I also, you know, I would always try to figure out if a hard mode was actually hard, like new difficult, like if the enemies were more difficult or if it was just taking away things like lives or making damage, um, you know, like doubled. I always found that to be lazy. No offense to this game. This game but it's was just kind, kind of, of lazy in its setting, right? Like, I think yeah. the only thing that would make the game a little different would be the Shurikens. Like, I could think, like, starting with 90 compared to nothing. It makes it right. pretty hard, you know? It makes yeah. you think of the game differently, like, more knifing. So, yeah. something like that would change the gameplay. But, like, the whole, like, changing your lives is kind of lazy. Like, you think they would, like, design the game, like, taking away some enemies, you know? Right, because really, you if you give every single difficulty mode the same amount of lives, it might become an incentive for the more hardcore players to be like, hey, I made it through the entire game, I didn't lose a single life, I had five, you know, the whole time, or something like that. Yeah. Um, rather than be like, you get one life, you lose, you die. You know, it's like, I, I just, I think it's a strange way to classify what difficulty is. But it's an easy way because back then, a enemy AI, it really wasn't something that they fiddled with too much. It wasn't like, oh, you should try hard mode because the, uh, you know, the caterpillar, he actually moves faster and he anticipates your your motions. You know, it's nothing like that. Yeah, and uh, I only kind, of, I only went into the, like the menus growing up when like I played a game and I'm like, that's a that's a good tune, you know. And then you yeah. would go in the settings and then they had the little like. You could listen to the tracks like that always mm -hmm. impressed me when a game had that i knew that's a good game man because like <laughs> they're proud of that soundtrack they're gonna be showing it off so yeah. uh that's one reason i would go into menus and settings I, mostly never there's only a few games i had to change controllers like i had to change controls on it and it was always like super nintendo games i've noticed because using the r1 button and like sometimes pressing like uh i don't know sometimes it you would need a dash or something and it was just easier to change it to r1 but like i never had that problem with sega mega drive games because i guess they never use those kind of mechanics but so no setting changes for me and uh, my other question was how many games from the late 80s and early 90s did you notice had difficulty settings like this because like to me most of the games i played from the early, late 80s early 90s you just play the game that's it there's not really like difficulty settings hmm yeah, I, I'd have to say very early on I was aware of it because I started before I really played like uh, 
Sega Genesis, I would play very early PC games. Um, I'm trying to think. The the IBM PS1, I played, uh, well, no, that was 92. But I remember Wolfenstein 3D, you know, it had like the, the difficulty setting. So probably early 90s, I really became aware of it. And I was always one to first look at the options menu, which probably started with Sonic 2, because that's when they made an options menu in a Sonic game. And so I was like, oh, this is cool. There's lots of interesting settings here. So I'd always I'd always check it out. I'd always be aware of it. And to be honest, sometimes if I knew a game was notoriously hard, first thing I'd check is if there was an easy mode um, <laughs> yeah. or a baby mode. Baby mode, you know. yeah. yeah. I remember the Doom because, like, they obviously, like, gave it really edgy names, like, uh, knee full of blood, uh, de- was it knee deep in blood or something? Like, they would call it, like, different little things like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Wolfenstein, the easiest one was Can I Play Daddy? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, great. Those games are great. Um, as uh, far as the game being a sequel to the arcade original... It is 100% confirmed by Oba himself. He said, yeah, just by glancing at the naming, you can see there's Joe Masashi, Zed, and the Oboro clan. All those come from Shinobi. Revenge of Shinobi takes three years after the first game. And as for new characters, there's a heroine called Naoko. Naoko. Supposed to be his mm. girl, Joe's girlfriend. And we'll talk more about her since I'm going to like read the description so let's read the the description of the Revenge of Shinobi. This is a description by uh, Sega Retro. I don't know where they got it from. I, I'm 100% sure this is not from the booklet because uh, there's some notes in it, uh, mm. opinions in it. <clears throat> I, thought, I thought wikis weren't supposed to have opinions. Mm. Oh, sorry. Uh, talking, uh, taking place three years after Shinobi, the criminal organization Zed from the original game has reformed and renamed themselves Neo Zed. Oh man, they're never going to find them. Literally Neo Zed, right? Uh, yeah. Neo Zed decided to have their revenge on their on the first game's protagonist, Joe Musashi, and his fellow members of the Oboro clan by killing Joe's master and kidnapping his fiance. Joe, having reached his clan too late, manages to learn uh, Zed's new plot from his dying master. Joe decides to travel the world and gain revenge on Neo Zed <laughs> and try to save his fiance before it's too late. Ooh. Are you haunted? Is this what you wanted? Huh? <laughs> you goddamn bastards. <laughs> no, you brought <laughs> Joe back. No, uh, now they're all dead. Sorry. Um, growing up, did you actually notice this was the story for the game by just playing the game? Because, like, I played it on the six pack. When I got the six-pack, it was a cart only. Like, I literally threw away the box, right? Yeah. I didn't read the menu. I just played mm-hmm. the game. And I didn't even know there was a female in this game when I played the game. Did you? <laughs> no. And, I mean, you know, renting games, uh, you don't get the manual. Yeah. So, in this case, you'd be kind of out of luck. Is there a story? I mean, there's a little bit of a, a like, text that scrolls at the beginning. Yeah, I think so. I just can't. I don't remember reading it. Like, I mean, we were kids back then. Like, when we were kids, we had like ADD. We just wanted to get in the game, kill things, and feel satisfied for doing it. Right? Yeah, I mean, they say like three years later, they talk about um, 
the world swallowed into darkness, Zed returning. So, I mean, there is quite a bit there. Uh, I always thought as a kid, Joe Musashi was like an Americanization of whatever the character's name was in Japan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, kind of like Samurai Jack, you know. Is that what you <laughs> it, it just, <laughs> you know, they were like, oh, what's his name? Mitsu Yasho? <laughs> Joe. It's Joe. That's Joe. Probably like you know. a, a placeholder. It was like a placeholder, and they just kept it. Yo, Joe. Yeah, exactly. I was gonna say. Um, so, did you know about? So, you didn't know about the girlfriend, right? But like, there's other games uh-uh. that use this story trope, right? Um, Double Dragon comes to mind. That's an easy one. But mm-hmm. like, they had specific cutscenes in the beginning, right? Like giving you the the story. Like, but this game didn't have cutscenes, right? It was just like. The storyboard, and then like they used all their energy for that super awesome, like uh, when he's hitting those little like uh, ninjutsu stars, and then he comes out and is his face, and it says the yeah. logo. So I guess they didn't have time to show his girlfriend, but I I just wanted to see what she looked like. That's all. Because <laughs> I mean I'm sure there's a lot of lore pages on wikis that need to be filled out with her picture. So would have been nice right. to see her. Maybe she's in the end of the game. She's locked in a little cage, and you fight this guy who like whips his hair yeah, back and forth. What does she look like? Is she? Is she like? I, I, don't rate her. She. I'm sure she's smart. Never mind. Just like it. a little pink dress, you know. She looks like Amy Rose. Um, classic. Amy I don't think new Amy. Uh, classic. Okay, she's got gosh. a pink dress, but cool. I. I don't, they don't do like the big. Uh, he's like looking off into the sunset with her. I'm. I'm sure she's cute. I'm sure she's good. I'm sure they have a great uh, relationship. I mean, he did destroy a whole criminal organization for her that's pretty cool that's true there's nuns in the game did you know that that's that's pretty hot Um, so uh let's talk about the revisions of this game the revenge of shinobi is one of the games have has had many revisions after the game came out mostly for copyright issues within the game for example the first game was released as 1.00 this was the super shinobi arcade original game which had boss characters that looked like Godzilla, Spider-Man, the Terminator, and Batman. There is even an enemy that resembles John Rambo with a flamethrower. Then, Sega would later release the 1.01 version. This is the first international version of the game, and uh, they, which replaced Batman with the anime character Devilman. Hmm. And the fake Spider-Man got recolored. But that wasn't enough for Sega. Nope. <laughs> Sega would later revision the game with 1.02 in 1990, with them updating and acknowledging that Spider-Man was in the game since they acquired the license for Spider-Man vs. Kingpin, and Godzilla was still unaltered. So mm. Sega would have to come back again the same year, and they would have to re-release the game. This one was 1.03. This time they replaced Godzilla with this, uh, a skeletal dinosaur, and then right. everything else was the same. Uh, this is the version that came with the six pack. So this is the version I grew up with. So <laughs> three changes later, that's the one I got. And then that was not enough for Sega, Barry, believe it or not. In 2009, decades later, Sega would change the Revenge of Shinobi for the later digital re releases. This time, since Sega didn't have the Spider-Man license, they uh, replaced them with a pink palette character swap, huh. and 
the main menu, that cool little cutscene where the guy, the ninja comes up and he's looking at the screen and has the logo and he's hitting the yeah. ninja stars. They changed the actor. Okay, so the original had the face. The face of the ninja was Sony Sony Chiba, which is a Japanese actor. They used his yep. likeness, and now they had to have a more generic ninja that looks a little sad. I don't like the new generic ninja. Sony Chiba has this like really fierce look to him that I really really liked in the game. I didn't, I didn't even know who he was. I didn't start watch. I didn't watch Japanese movies until like I was a teenager. But right. his face has like this fierce look to it that you can't replicate and like it sucks that they re-released it without him but i guess he got mad or something maybe but well, you uh, know he uh so his face i think it was pulled from something wasn't it yeah it was pulled from did he do cocaine or something <laughs> it, who me no, him. And Sammy Chiba. Because oh. <laughs> isn't that what happens in Japan? You do just a oh, little bit of drugs? Oh, yeah, right. Uh, no, no, no. It was pulled from his role on a Japanese TV show called Shadow Warrior. And if you remember, uh, Thunderblade steals a helicopter shot from a movie. Remember that? Did they? I, I believe so. But Sega was uh, pretty happy to like digitize movie images. And I feel like... That was them. That's like yeah. modern day photoshopping, you know. Where you're like, well, I altered it enough that it's not yours anymore; it's mine. Um, and so I'm sure there were legal problems. Uh, apparently, like, yeah, like you said, you know, Terminator stuff like that. So maybe people started catching on that this game was a legal nightmare. Um, <laughs> Sonny Chiba, if you remember, you've seen Kill Bill, right? Yeah. He's he in was in Volume 1. He was mm -hmm. uh, Hattori Hanzo. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he goes, you speak Japanese like we speak Japanese. Very good. <laughs> he also did these like, uh, movies in Japan called uh, Street Fighter, if you guys ever watched it. He like pulls the guy's nuts right out of his, and then he like, squeezes them. Nice. Uh, if you guys want to watch that, there's, there's that movie. Nothing to do with the game. Sorry. Huh. This game Street Fighter. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, did you know that uh, Revenge of Shinobi had all these copyright disputes? And what is your opinion on all the changes? Do you think it changes the game a lot, the original vision? Do you think it matters? Do you think um, maybe they should I'm... redesign some of these bosses instead of making pink palettes? <laughs> I think they should... First off, I don't think they should have been stealing other characters for their games, but it was kind of the Wild West of video games back then. I mean... If you recall, Nights into Dreams, even uh, a Saturn game, had like music or had like character voices from Home Alone. Like, that's weird. But, uh, you know, they just, they were happy to lift stuff and use stuff. And I feel like they probably thought it was a different medium. It was different use. It's a video game. It's not, you know, uh, like we're stepping on your movie's toes. But as time went on, of course, Rambo had games. Spider-Man had games. So it starts to get a little murky. And so, really, they brought it on themselves by stealing characters that they didn't own. I think they did it right by licensing them. However, later on, it, it was very lazy to have this, like, pink Spider-Man. I think that's really ugly. I think that's why I'm so forgiving about the uh, 3D Classics games when M2 has to change, like, a billboard or change the OutRun car. Like, I, I know people go, it's, I'm not playing this game. It's not the right car. And for yeah. me, I'm like, but it it looks nice. The game and, plays the same, if not better. Like, 
one get thing over that, it. This one thing. No one. Yeah. Oh, if you're playing Outrun for the car design, like you're missing the whole point. So, to be honest, if you're playing Shinobi for Spider-Man's authentic look, you're playing it wrong. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. Like, um, there's people that say I, I won't play Shinobi if it doesn't have the Ferrari license. And do I like the Ferrari license? Would I rather have the Ferrari license? Yeah, of course. But if it doesn't have it, I rather enjoy Outrun than not enjoy Outrun because Ferrari yeah. are assholes, right? So right. to me, it's the same thing with Wrench of Shinobi. Like, I hope they make a M2 version of the game where they sit down, they they hang out with the actual creative team, redesign these kind of like bosses and all these copyright issues, and mm-hmm. release like a definitive version where they just didn't lazily design like Godzilla. Like, because let's be honest with each other. he They talk about the game where like, Oh, it takes place three years after the original, and then all of a sudden they're like, but it has Spider-Man, Batman, Devil-Man, um, uh, Godzilla, Rambo. It's like, come on, dude. Like, it's obviously, because let's be honest, the reason a lot of people cheat and do this as artists is because they're mm-hmm. lazy and they have really short de- deadlines. Yeah. Um, and like we talked about in the last episode when we talked about Alex Kidd, this is the same team. They were run like a sweatshop. So yeah. not really that surprising. The fact that it became a legendary game, despite the fact that they were running like a sweatshop, is amazing. And a lot of people should be thankful of the talent Sega had in within this team. Absolutely. Um, while on the podcast, we've gushed about the story. We've gushed about the gameplay. <laughs> we gushed about the ninjas. Uh, another key component that made the Revenge of Shinobi very popular and legendary, and we still talk about it 30 years later, and... Since December 5th, this game is 30 years old. Remember that, wow. guys. Dirty 30. Um, the, legend- the, the soundtrack is why a lot of people remember this game. It was composed by legendary composer Yuzo Koshiro. And if you heard his name, you probably heard it with the Streets of Rage soundtracks, which he did the trilogy for. Uh, the Revenge of Shinobi soundtrack, much like the Streets of Rage soundtrack, really showed the Sega Genesis slash Mega Drive sound chip range. The game, uh, the game came out before Sonic the Hedgehog, so it was probably one of the reasons hardcore gamers bought the game. The system was because of the superior sound that the 16-bit systems had, and this is one of the games that really showcased that before Sonic. Obviously, the soundtrack blended Western dance music with Japanese overtones, with tracks like "Long Distance," "Terrible Beat," "Make Me Dance," and "My Lover," all. That sound like American pop hits and not ninja video game music t- <laughs> tracks. Yeah. Um, the soundtrack also got a data disc release. You probably have the data disc release, right? Yeah, yeah. I have that one. Yeah, that's a, that's a sick one because the artwork. Like, one of the big things about vinyls, I mean, I don't want to get into vinyl talk, but, like, I love the big artwork, and this game is one of the cool games that had, like, really sick artwork. Like, the little devil mask and the shinobi really sets the grimy tone of the game kind of like it's absolutely. like absolutely like it's like magic ninjas it's like this weird demon thing with a mask it's like mysterious it's cool yeah, i love it um so that's one reason you might want to have the data disc release because of the core cool work do you yeah. have them all i was gonna uh, say um i think i'm missing one disc and i ordered um they just did a new one for um, Radiant Silver Gun, and I ordered that too. I feel like I'm spending way too much money on these releases, but I really do you like get, them. Do you get the non-Sega ones, like Police Knots? I do own Police Knots. Uh, I don't. I think there's one I didn't get was uh, Okami. Metal Slug. 
No, I didn't get Okami. I did get Metal Slug because I grew up with Metal Slug. Like, oh, okay. Okami isn't numbered, though. No, it's not numbered, but I didn't get it just because. I So I have every single numbered one. Basically, yeah. I just don't have yeah, Okami. And for those listening who don't know what we're talking about, so Datadisks, it's a European uh, company that does pre- predominantly or primarily, I think, Same. all video game yeah. soundtrack uh, vinyl releases. But what's interesting is they're numbered and they started out like Sega, all Sega, you know, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. And then all of a sudden they were like, with the 13th one, they were like, Metal Slug. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then now they did, uh, they're doing treasure games. So they did Brady and Silver Gun. And I mean, let's be honest, they're going to do uh, Ikugura and uh, Guardian Heroes and other games they've done. Um, Wait, I was going to, not to get too far off topic, so which one do you want them to do next? Oh, Data Disc? Yeah. Um, man, that's a hard one. I mean, there's a lot of games at Sega that deserve soundtracks, right? Right. Um, if I had to pick one Sega game, did they do? They haven't done Knights. Like I'm surprised that they haven't done a lot more Sonic team releases. Yeah, they did yeah. Sonic Mania, but that wasn't numbered. They did Sonic CD, but yeah, we'll mm. see. But yeah, I'd like them to do uh, Jet Set Radio. I mean, it's a game that has a record. As in like the, the thing that you have to go obtain. Like, yeah. <laughs> why don't they make that anyway? And, I, and I would like it. to, and I would like them to like start messing around with like I, I know that people will hate hate these kind of things, but like jumbo sized limited run games kind of stuff. Even if it comes with like cool little like items, mm. like a disc that's just a replica of the game, right, or something like that for like Shinobi. Would be, I mean, for uh, Jet Set Radio would be cool, but. Right now we're talking yeah. about the Sh- Revenge of Shinobi soundtrack. And what is your opinion on this soundtrack? And uh, how do you think it stacks up to his later releases? Because to me this feels like he used the same style that worked on Revenge of Shinobi. And he obviously used it in Streets of Rage. Like this to me is like pre-Streets of Rage sound to me. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. But I like that style. I'm mm-hmm. of the mindset where uh, he was at his peak at this time doing Revenge of the Shinobi, Streets of Rage 2. And I think a little later he started to get a little too experimental. I was not a big fan of Streets of Rage 3's soundtrack. Um, Shinobi 3, did he? He did Shinobi 3. No, he did not. No, no, he didn't. He no, did no, he not. did not do 3. He, and so, yeah, he moved on to the yeah. streets after. Yeah, yeah. So I love this soundtrack, though. Obviously, I bought it. Um, of and of the data discs I own, I only own a handful, but uh, Revenge of Shinobi, Streets of Rage 2, and Space Harrier. I oh, those are most, all good ones. Yeah, I most definitely own. So, you know, like if, and it's sold out now too, Revenge of Shinobi, but it's, yeah, it is an awesome, it. awesome soundtrack. Uh, it's just like, it is kind of like a precursor to Streets of Rage 2, though, really. Yeah, and uh, I was going to say, uh, the soundtrack... It's totally different from the first game. Like, we talked about the first game. Um, the first game, I don't even think we discussed the soundtrack that much. The soundtrack was really short on the first one. This one has way more variety of tracks. The music has more range to it. it the Sega Genesis, this is one of the games that really make it shine. I know there's a lot of, like... We've talked about the stereotype that Sega Genesis does not have good sound. Uh, mm-hmm. And this is definitely one of the games that you put on and you're like... How does this not sound good? Come on, dude. Like, this sounds better than any NES game. I, and not there's anything wrong with NES music, but, like, just the depth 
and like complexity of the music is a lot better. So yeah. Yeah, I've never prescribed to that line of thought where it's like that the Genesis ha- sounds bad. I think it sounds amazing. I think it's not to get into like SNES versus Genesis, but the Genesis, the SNES just always sounded soft to me. It sounded overly synthesized. Like it's the the Genesis just sounded so like hard and rough and I don't know. It just it it had like it really resonated. It's hard to talk about like what it is. It's like and it's very like it's so tiny too. Like it's mostly about preference, right? On uh, what you like. Um, I've heard a lot of great soundtracks on uh, Super Nintendo, but like. They do have a different feel to it, but like compared to like so before this is when this game came out, there was no any Super Nintendo. So like this is a really good early music game for the Sega right. Genesis because like even Golden Axe has some like sampling issues. Like the voices kind of gave it that stereotype crackly sound that the Sega Genesis <laughs> is really known for, right? Yeah. So to me, this game was one of those games where like it just sounded great. Like the music just sounded, it was just on. I don't know, like stereo sound, all that. This game has it. Um, I guess any last words you want to say before we shut down the podcast? Because that's all the notes I have. Um, it's just you know, I think it's great that we did this episode after Alex Kid because I want people to understand that there's nothing wrong with Alex Kid. <laughs> And as you can see here, I probably played Alex Kidd just as much as Shinobi, uh, Revenge of Shinobi. But the difference is that Revenge of Shinobi, I just I felt like it did more things right, despite being extremely difficult. I think it's just, I mean, it's preference, maybe I don't know, but I I want to play Revenge of Shinobi again and again, as as difficult as it is. And I think that says a lot to not only the the game design, but also the uh, the art direction, the music, the variety of things that you can do. The fact that you can actually fight a boss instead of doing rock, paper, scissors with them. You know, <laughs> like, uh, yeah. And um, so, you know, it's a great game. And I love doing these Sega Talk episodes where it's a game that I'm either not very, uh, I don't have a lot of experience with, or one that I, I can't speak to as an expert because you always bring <laughs> your own expertise with it. And that's why we are different people. And uh, we are going to talk about next week, we're going to have a special Sega Talk episode, Fantasy Star Online, a game that me and Barry both have uh, a little bit of emotions with. So it should be a oh. good episode and a good talk. Uh, it went, since we missed last week, so we'll do another one next week for Christmas. So I guess I yeah. spoiled the Christmas surprise. But thank you guys for watching. We'll catch you guys next week on the Fantasy Star Online episode. If you back us on Patreon, we'll read your comments in the end of this that special episode on your memories of Fantasy Star Online. Thanks for the support. Catch you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Done. Done. Next. No.